0: So there's many reasons why people don't like Christianity. Uh, I think one thing that really puts people off out of all the different reasons is the do's and don'ts, right? When people talk about the law, when people talk about what's allowed and what's not allowed according to the Bible, you know, people, they get put off. Um, It's just not that pleasing when people begin to talk about rules and regulations, right? We just know that that's going to draw some kind of friction from, from um, people. Uh, so when we go out and we share about Jesus Christ, when we share about the church, we make sure we talk about grace, we make sure we talk about love, we make sure we talk about community, all these great things um, we highlight, but we never really talk about the law right? That's just something we don't talk about. That's just something for advanced Christians, people who are more mature, they come in, and then all of a sudden, bam, after they say, we're going to put the law in their face. And like, by the way, there's 613 laws in the Bible that you have to follow. <laughs> we don't, we just don't do that because we know that people just don't like do's and don'ts, right? Some people just don't like to be told what to do, right? Don't tell me what to do. Like that's, that's our, a lot of times our attitude in life, Uh, We want our freedom. We want our liberty. We want to make decisions for ourselves. Now, some people really, really believe that Jesus had an extremely low view of Scripture, that he didn't really care about the law, that he wasn't a big fan of the law. After all, who were the people who he mainly criticized? Who were the people who he mainly rebuked? It was the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people who were so obsessed with the law, Jesus said, man, I have a problem with you guys. And because of that, a lot of people believe, well, if Jesus had a problem with those people, then, of course, he has a problem with the law. Right? When we picture Jesus, we don't picture this, this uptight, you know, strict, law-keeping person. We picture Jesus as this easygoing, right, uh, down-to-earth, free-spirited guy. He doesn't care what people do. He doesn't care who people are. He just hangs out with everyone. He's so in- inclusive. right? He hugs everyone. Everyone is free to come into his presence. That's just Jesus who doesn't care about the law. You no. Know, on the other side, when we think about the Pharisees and the scribes, man, they are just so obsessed about the law that it's, it, it's suffocating for us to read about them, right? We don't understand how they can live in such a way. But is this all true? Is this what Christianity is all about? No, is Jesus enough? And therefore, because we receive grace, because we are loved, I mean, by all means, we're going to try our best to keep the law, but does that mean simply we get a free pass at the end of the day? No, it doesn't matter how we live on this earth, but really it's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. Therefore, we go into heaven. Now, in today's passage, Jesus makes it very clear that he has a very interesting perspective on the law. It's very different from the Pharisees. It's very different from what a lot of Christians would view uh, the law to be. Now Jesus, he clarifies his relationship with the law, the Old Testament, in verse 17. He says, "Do not think." In translation, it basically means, "Don't even let this cross your mind." Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when Jesus says uh, the prophets or the laws, or later on he says the law, that's a very common way that um, Jews, they refer to the Old Testament. You know, when we talk about the Bible, we say, oh, this is the Bible, but this is also the Holy Scripture. We also say that um, this is the Word of God. So we have different phrases that we use to describe uh, the Word of God. Uh, the Bible. And in the same way, when um, Jewish people, when they talked about the Old Testament, uh, the Tanakh, they often referred it to the law because the Mosaic law is so important. They also referred it to the law and the prophets because it begins with the law, the law of Moses, and it ends with the prophets. So either way, what Jesus is trying to say here is the entire Old Testament is really... It's, it's not something that I'm, I'm here to abolish. It's not something that I'm here to destroy or just take away. But I'm here to fulfill it. I'm not here to cancel the law, but I'm here to complete the law. Every single thing. You know, nowadays, uh, it's, it's really fun to play with Timothy, something that I would do. Is uh, I would hide uh, when it's just me and Timothy, and I would hide behind a door. I would hide behind a wall, and and I'd wait for Timothy to panic. I, I, it's kind of weird, but I just want to make sure that he is aware that now now that that his sa- sense of uh, safety and just comfort comes from his dad, right? So uh, I hide, right? I make sure he can't fi- he doesn't see me, and 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 so for a couple minutes he's okay, and then he realizes, okay, I'm not there so he begins to call apa which means father or dad in, in korean and then i wouldn't move i'll still you know, wait for him you know i'm like is he gonna cry no is he gonna panic you know i'm just waiting there right and then i hear his footsteps you know timothy's walking around going to you know all these different places in our house and then he finally comes close and when he comes close when i see his shadow um approaching when i can visibly see his shadow that's when i jump out and I surprise him, and then he freaks out, right? And then he has this big smile on on his face, and that's just priceless. Uh, The reason I share this is, although there's a lot of different clues that are given uh, to me that I can know that Timothy is near, one of the clearest clues that is given is the shadow. The fact that there is a shadow that I can see tells me that Timothy is right there, that there's a reality that, that the shadow reflects. In the same way, the Old Testament Reflects the New Testament. The Old Testament is really a gigantic shadow of Jesus Christ. What Jesus says is, okay, the law, you no, know, myself, we're not just two different things, but I'm actually the fulfillment of the law. I'm actually the one who completes the law. From the beginning to the end, the whole thing, God's word, the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. You no, know, the whole thing is about Jesus. In John chapter 5, there's this incident where you know, Jesus is aware that a lot of Jews, uh, that they're mad at him because he's not keeping the Sabbath, right? And, and more than that, he's claiming to be the son of God, which is blasphemy in their opinion. And so what they do is they're like, okay, we got to stone Jesus. And knowing that, what Jesus says in John 5, 39 is this, you search the scriptures, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. So what Jesus is saying is, you think the scriptures itself give eternal life. In reality, what I say is the scriptures actually point to me. They give witness about me so that I can give you eternal life. Now, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but every Sunday, whether it's in the New Testament, Old Testament, whether it's a narrative, whether it's an epistle, whether it's, it's a psalm, no, every time we preach, whether it's Pastor Danny who's preaching or someone else who's preaching on a rainy day, on a sunny day, hopefully you notice that every time we preach, we somehow end up pointing to Jesus at the end. And somehow we make this crazy connection to Jesus. And by the way, that's not done by us. Because the Bible itself, Jesus self-proclaims that everything about the Bible, everything about the Old Testament is really about me. So it's not hard for us to talk about Jesus. In fact, without Jesus, things do not make sense. Things in the Old Testament, if you think about it, if without Jesus, without the hope that is given in the New Testament, it's just a really super depressing book, right? It's just a bunch of people living a messy life, Lives in a messy world, right? They kill one another, they sin against one another, they take advantage of one another. You know, God tries to do something with them and yet they continue to fall and, and, and fail. It's just this depressing book if you just isolate the Old Testament by itself. The reason why the Old Testament is sweet, the reason why the Old Testament is good, is because there is a New Testament. Because there is Jesus Christ who comes and fulfills the Old Testament. That's why when we see the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we don't panic knowing that Jesus one day will come and crush the head of the serpent. When we see the flood that destroys um, the entire world, we don't panic because we know that Jesus is the ark of our salvation. No, we, when we see you know, uh, Abraham's faith being tested, you know, him having to offer... Uh, Isaac, we don't panic, knowing that God already made the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. No, we don't. When we see the exodus, when they are in slavery and they are just pressured in every single way, pressured by the world to live a certain way, we don't panic knowing that just like Moses led the people out of Egypt, Jesus ultimately leads us out of slavery, of bondage, of sin, and death. And I can go on and on and on from the beginning to the end. Everything is about Jesus. The only hope that we see in the Old Testament is the fact that there is a Messiah that is coming. Now, that's what's good about the Old Testament. If not that, it's just a depressing book. In verse 17, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. What's written in the law and the prophets, that's what I have come for. He's saying, this is my mission. This is the very reason I am on this earth, to fulfill everything that was spoken about me in the Old Testament. Jesus and the law, the Old Testament, they are inseparable, right? You can't have Jesus without having the law. The law only makes sense with Jesus. Jesus. So the entire Old Testament, it points to Jesus. But another thing that we see is that not only does Jesus see that it points to him, but he has extremely high view of the law. Look at verse 18. He says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass the law until all is accomplished. So an iota, if you know the Greek language, it's the smallest alphabet. So probably when, because um, the New Testament was written in Greek, and Jesus actually spoke Aramaic, and he knew Hebrew, what, um, what uh, Matthew actually uh, means is, it's probably referring to the yod, uh, that, which is the smallest language in the Hebrew language. Uh, regardless what he's trying to say is okay not a single word even the smallest word is not going to be taken away until everything is accomplished he's also saying a dot which is the smallest stroke in the bible not a single dot is going to be taken away until heaven and earth passes away that's how high he views scripture he doesn't say okay uh, let me pick and choose what's right and what's wrong in in the old testament he doesn't say oh let me kind of correct the mistakes that all these human writers made because oh that's not the word of god no he confirms that from the smallest letter, from the f- smallest stroke of pen, everything in the Old Testament is the word of God. Everything is complete. Everything is perfect. It's not going to pass away. It's going to be eternal. No, it's going to be there. No, before the heavens and earth pass away, it will still be there. Jesus has an extremely high view of God's word. He he doesn't say that it's outdated or irrelevant. He doesn't say that, okay, you can pick and choose what you like about it. No, it's perfect to its finest details. That's what Jesus is saying. Every single thing about God's word is sweet. It is perfect. It is good. And until the heaven and the earth passes away, God ain't gonna change anything about his word. That's how high he views God's word. Jesus has an extremely high view of the law and of the Old Testament And now so far, the things that I've shared, I'm pretty sure it's easy for you to agree because these are things that we um, talk about quite often, but things get really interesting in verse 19. Now he says this in verse 19, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus trying to say? What you do in this life matters. How you live out your faith, it matters. Jesus says, hey, if you do things and teach things in a relaxed way, and that word relaxed literally means in a loose sense. No, if you take things in a very loose manner, Right? if you don't have a high view of scripture, if you think you can pick and choose whatever you want to pick and choose from God's word, if you twist and, and, and turn God's word into the way that it suits your, your needs, then you're gonna be the least in God's kingdom. You just don't do that. Right? Jesus, he says, calls us to have an extremely high view of God's word and his commandments. Now, Jesus wants to show that Even the littlest commandment in God's Word, it still requires obedience. No, it requires equal commitment um, in in, in such a way because every little thing is God's Word. There is nothing that we can just toss out. No, Christians, we are not free from the law. This might surprise you, but just because we are under grace, just because we are saved by Jesus Christ, does not mean, mean we are free from the law. We are free from the righteous requirements of the law, but that does not mean Jesus expects anything less of us. Right? In the next couple of verses, actually in the rest of the Sermon of the Mount, a big chunk of it, Jesus is going to take the law, things that are spoken in the Ten Commandments and other places, and he's going to change uh, the view that the Pharisees and the scribes had about the law. The Jewish understanding of the law is going to change completely in a, couple, uh, in a couple of verses. And what he says is, well, you Jews, you say that do not murder. Well, I tell you, um, if you are angry at a brother, you are murdering someone in your heart. What he says is, well, you say do not, do not commit adultery. Well I, well, I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you are committing adultery in your heart. No, when you say uh, love your neighbors, I tell you to love your enemies. No, Jesus, it's not like he has a low view of scripture. It's not like he has a low view of the law. In fact, he actually brings it up a notch. No, he doesn't just focus on the things that goes on on the outside. He's now concerned about the things that are happening inside. Jesus demands greater obedience in a sense um, for the believers. Those who are under grace, those who are saved by Jesus Christ, we are demanded a greater obedience Because Jesus, he increases demands of the law. You know, um, as a pastor, a lot of times, uh, the question that I receive uh, from uh, members is this, uh, Pastor, is it okay to do this? Or is it a sin to do this? A lot of times, we want to know what's a sin and what's not. You know, just a couple weeks ago, I preached on uh, the wedding in Canaan. And I got, from a couple of people, you know, I, I got feedback. And they were asking me, so, you never said it, but is it okay to drink as a Christian? You know, I said drunkenness is a sin, but I never, you know, I never, you know, answered that question. A lot of our youth kids, there's a pressing question in their hearts. You know, is it okay to date in high school? And if so, how far can I go without sinning? Is, is it okay if I hold the person's hand? Is it okay if I go to prom together? Is, is a light kiss on the cheek, is that okay? Or can I do more? Right? They, they are eager to see what that line is you know, before we fall into sin. You know, it's lottery, playing, like it's gambling. Are those things you know, a sin? You know, and we have all these different questions. What's a sin and what's not? And before I answer all those questions, I think we need to change our questions. Because Christianity is actually not about what's, uh, what's the minimum requirement. Christianity is not about figuring out that line where you can tiptoe on, on to the point where you're not falling. You're on the verge of falling into sin. That's not what Christianity is about. What Christianity is about is living a high, up to a high standard. You are pursuing what God wants you to do. You're not trying to figure out what, what's going to piss God off, but you're trying to figure out what's going to please God. That's what Christianity is about. No, there's three types of people um, uh, like in our youth group, in the way that they interact with their parents. There are a group of people who don't care about their parents. They say, oh, okay, you know, I don't want to honor my parents. I don't care about them. And that's the, that type of group of people, typical teenagers, right? But there's a group of par- people who say, well, um, I'm afraid of my parents. Therefore, uh, I'm going to make sure I do the dishes. I'm going to make sure I clean the house. Uh, I'm going to do what it takes to make sure they don't get mad. And then there's a third group which says, I love my parents. You know, I appreciate what they do for me. You know, I I appreciate how hard they work for me. Therefore, I want to bless them. You know, I want to do more and beyond of what they ask of me. I'm not just going to do dishes. Maybe I can clean the house. Maybe, you know, I can get them a a present. You know, so what's the difference? You know, at the end of the day, aren't both groups, right, uh, honoring their parents? The answer is not really. Well, one group is seeking to find the bare minimum and, and they're trying to do the least of what they can do so that their parents don't get mad and angry at them so that they don't, they're not put in this uh, disadvantage. One group is seeking to do far beyond what they can do and they want to do the best they could to please their parents. And what Christianity is about is not about just you know, being afraid of God getting mad at us and doing things in our lives because we sin. Christianity is about having this freedom to pursue God and the things of God in righteousness no we are not called to do the bare minimum we're called to do the best we could do to live a holy life that's set apart from for the lord no don't take god's word lightly or loosely no don't try to apply it and twist it in, in under your taste now i'm not saying that you know you have to that uh, that uh, that means um you have to be all, this, all super strict, and, and, and you can't do anything in life. What I'm simply trying to say is, whatever you do, have a good reason for it. No, if you decide to date, date for the glory of God. If you don't decide to date, don't date for the glory of God. If you decide to drink, drink for the glory of God. If you don't decide to drink, I mean, don't, don't drink for the glory of God. If you think what you do is not reflecting God's glory and it's not pleasing to God, it's not honoring to, to God and you're simply trying to find that middle ground where you can do what you want and you, you can satisfy to some degree what God wants you to do, then you're missing the point. Uh, I'm going to share a very deep secret of mine. Um, I was kind of contemplating whether I should share this or not. Um, so I don't know if you guys have this experience, but um, when I was, was in college, I actually received an F in one of my subjects. I, I, like, I don't know if that's, it's, 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 it's the worst feeling that you can get, right? And here's how that happened. Because uh, I was a pretty good student. I tried pretty hard, uh, uh, and I was a pre-med student. And then my junior year, I took this class, it's microbiology. Right? And then I'm taking this class, and I know, oh man, this is too much. I tried to take too many credits, so I said, okay, I got to switch, but I'm, it's, it was too late to drop the class. So I had an idea. I'm gonna change it to pass and fail. So as long as I pass this class, you no, know, I'm gonna be okay. So now knowing that I don't have to make an A, which is average for an Asian, right? <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Knowing that I don't have to get a good decent grade, knowing that I just have to make a 60 to pass. What do I do? I start to skip. I start to do 60% of my homework. I put 60% of my effort, right? And, and all this took place. And, and I was, and by the time it was, it was time to take the final exam, you know, I knew my grades were pretty low. And because I was skipping class so much, oh, man, I shouldn't say this as a pastor. <laughs> I was skipping class a lot uh, because I was super confident that I could boost this up in the final exam. So the last class, I don't go because I had a different exam. I don't attend. that I show up so my final exam, I read in the syllabus that it was a comprehensive exam, meaning it, you, are exam, you are a test from everything that you have learned throughout the semester. And I knew that a lot of things I have already learned, I, I worked through. And the night before, obviously, I crammed, right? So I started from the very beginning. I start working through, and by the time I stopped at about 60%. Like I said, I studied 60% pretty well. Okay, this is where I'm going to stop. Um, and I have other exams during my finals. This is how much I can do. I show up to the exam. What I realized is um, the questions are very new to me, right? These are words that I haven't seen before, and and later I found out on the last class, the professor made an important announcement. He said although Silva says it's a comprehensive uh, exam, uh, about two thirds of the exam is going to be about the last couple of classes. Whereas, and 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 so I missed that announcement. And so what I did was I didn't study the anything at all for that, th- that portion, I just stopped at 60%. Now, I, now why am I sharing all this? Um, the reason I failed that class is pretty simple. I, put, I, I didn't put 100% effort into it, I put 60% effort. You no, know, on a good day, maybe I could have passed. But the thing is, life happens, things happen, things are out of my control, you know, they, they come into play. And what happens is when I try to do the bare minimum, that bare minimum is not good enough. You always end up failing. Same is true with sin. You might think, okay, I can walk this thin line. I can tiptoe and to the point where I'm doing certain things, but I'm not sinning. And that's not the issue. The issue is when you do that, when you see that things that are beyond our control and factors come into play, are you confident that you will not fail? Well, if you studied 100%, of course you're not going to fail when those factors come in. But if you were trying to do the bare minimum, every single time what's going to happen is you're going to fail. Same in our walk with Jesus Christ. The reason why we fall into temptation is because we don't pursue what's best for our Christian life. Rather, we just try to do the bare minimum. Jesus, he demands a greater obedience no, one pastor said it like this, no, just because we are under God's grace does not mean that, um, that we seek obedience less, it does not free us from the righteous requirements of, of living out the law. Now, does this mean that we lose our salvation if we sin? Does this mean we lose our salvation if we are unfaithful to the little uh, things or certain parts of the law? No. Verse 19 clearly says both people end up in heaven. Both people end up in the kingdom of God. The issue is not a matter of are you in or out when it comes to keeping the law. But notice what it does say. It says one is great in heaven, the other is least. One is honored in heaven, one barely makes it into heaven. You know, and so we have to be very, very clear, although we don't lose our salvation if we simply sin, no, we are going to give an account to the Lord um, at the end of the day of everything that we have done. And God is going to ask, hey, did you live for my glory? What did you do with my talents? And to so some people, he's going to say, good and faithful servant. Because you are faithful in the little things, I give you more things. And some people, they're just going to say, you wicked and lazy servant. What did you do with your life? And Jesus, he demands this radical obedience. But not only that, in verse 20, look at this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the shocking part, because so far we thought the Pharisees and the scribes, they were the bad guys. But now Jesus is saying, hey, if your righteousness does not exceed their righteousness, if you are not greater than them, then here's the problem. You will never enter the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying here? What is he trying to say? Um, I don't think he's saying, okay, you've got to try harder than the Pharisees. I don't think he's trying to say you've got to you know, put in more effort than the scribes because we know the Pharisees than the scribes, you know, they did everything they, they could. They did everything that a human being could do to keep the 613 laws, right? They went far beyond what they were required of. Right? They they woke up every single morning, they began to pray every single day. They would they would live out their lives uh, just to obey God's law because they thought that's how they acquired their righteousness. You no, know, even people they respected these Pharisees and these scribes because they seemed so righteous, right? I don't think though, what God so I don't think what God is trying to say is you have to do more than that because it's impossible to do more than that. I think what Jesus is trying to say is that righteousness that they have. And Jesus says this in chapter 6, um, verse 1 and 2. He says, be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Jesus makes a very strong statement about the Pharisees and the scribes because they were all concerned, only concerned about what was, appeared, uh, what was displayed in their lives. No, they were only concerned about what's on the outside. When Jesus, he says, your righteousness has to be Uh, greater than these people because the righteousness I desire is not just righteousness on the outside. It's actually righteousness that starts from the inside. That's the righteousness that Jesus is desiring. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Hey, if... If people are going to be confident in their flesh, I have every reason to be confident. I I was circumcised on the eighth day. right? I am part of the people of God. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, the law. Uh, I know a Pharisee. I am a zeal, um, a persecutor of the church, a righteous under the law, blameless. And he lists all these different things in which he can boast about in his flesh. But he says this, but whatever I gain, I Counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of many things and counted them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And listen carefully not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what is Paul saying? He says, I have all these different deeds, but my righteousness does not come from what I do. It comes from inside. It comes from Christ who lives in me. That is the greater righteousness. Jesus, he lived the perfect life. He met all the righteous requirements of the law. He did what a human being could not do. You know, he... he, went far beyond what was required of the law. Every single step of the way, every thought that he had, he desired to please God. He was wanting to honor God. He, he lived a life of obedience, radical obedience. And what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying here is the way that you mimic this lifestyle the way that you live out the law the way that you display your good deeds it's not just by trying hard you actually have to know christ you have to have christ inside of you christ's righteousness has to stir up something inside of you so no longer are you are you keeping the law just because you have to now all of a sudden because of jesus christ because you know what he has done for you you are keeping the law because you want to that you're not keeping the law in fear you're keeping the law in love Because you love your God. Because you love your Lord. Because you want to know every single thought that he has. Because you want to know exactly what he thinks about every aspect of your life. And you want to do what is pleasing to him. That is radical obedience. Radical obedience comes from this radical righteousness that we receive in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament, the entirety, it points to Jesus Christ. Jesus had an extremely high view of the Old Testament. And he demands us to have the same view. He demands holiness on our part. And this begins by us simply accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, understanding that we, our goodness is never good enough, that we need something that's far beyond us, that we need Christ's goodness to stir something in us and begin this righteous life in us. And when we pursue this radical obedience in radical righteousness, I think we can be wholly set apart. And what's interesting, we've been doing um, quiet time through Leviticus uh, past A couple months now it's pretty long um there's this command that appears over and over it says god says you know be holy for i am holy you know what it says in first peter same command given to the believers be holy for i am holy first peter chapter one what god desires of us what he asked of us did not change it's not like okay the law was too strict let me lower the bar no he says hey the bar is still there But let me help you get over that bar by me empowering you to live and pursue this holiness. No, Jesus never said, God never said, hey, be holy. No, he never said, I am holy, therefore you don't have to be holy. That's not what he said. He says, I am holy, therefore you be holy in the same way. God thinks that it is possible. And this is so critical to our Christian life. Why? Because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by introducing this idea of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of this world, right? Those in the kingdom of God, although you're poor in spirit, you are actually blessed. You, are, you mourn, but you are blessed. Everything about God's kingdom is just weird, it's, it's different from this world. He exposes these kingdom values. He says, the kingdom of God is so radically different from the kingdom of this world. And not only that, he gives us a radical call in verse 13 through 16. He says, I want you to be salt. I want you to be light. I don't want you to just live in this world, but I want you to reflect who I am. I want you to live out the gospel in a way that people will notice it. And notice what it says in chapter... Uh, Five verse sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works. Doesn't say so that they may hear what you say. Doesn't say that so that they may see what you tweet. Says that so ma- that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the command. And Jesus, knowing that we could twist this, knowing that we can take a legalistic approach, he tries to clarify this. By the way, the way that you display good works. It doesn't begin by you trying hard it actually begins with you being covered with christ's righteousness and out of that you live out this radical obedience where you are wanting to do the things of god and now setting the stage moving forward now jesus is going to say some crazy things that are not going to make sense to us but when we understand that the way that we live out these different commands these virtues, it's not by our own strength, but it's really by the power of God, by the the grace of the gospel that is given to us, now we are able to pursue this radical obedience in the Holy Spirit, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So are you displaying good works in your life? Are you making excuses? Do you have such a low view of God's word that you don't really care about God's word? Maybe some of you are thinking, well, at least I can go into heaven right? I don't have to be great in God's kingdom. At least, as long as I get into heaven, that's all I I care about. I mean, if that's the case, I I don't have much more to say. No, God, he saved you for something far greater. No, he saved you so that you can be his people, and he can be your God. He saved you so that you'll be different and distinct. He saved you from the very beginning so that you will be a testimony, a witness to the world, so that people, when they see you, they won't see you, that they will see God. That see, they would see Jesus Christ. That is the high calling that we have as Christians. And as high that is, and how, 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 how strict the, the demand is, we know that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We know that Jesus Christ, righteousness, stirs something in us so that we can live out in this radical obedience. So why, why not pursue obedience? And for some of us, the way that we have to approach this is we need to start from actually accepting Christ that we've been trying way too hard to live a good life which is not good enough for God. We try to put all these different efforts in in a way to shape our lives in a very legalistic manner. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this because I'm always on time for service because I'm I'm always going to life group because I don't do certain things in my life. I'm a decent person. What Jesus is saying is if that is your take, then you're no different from the Pharisees. What you need in order to go into the kingdom of God is something that's greater than the Pharisee's righteousness, and that is the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Praise God that he sent his son Jesus, that he could die for us so that he can make a way for us, not just so that we can be saved, but that we can be people of God, holy, blameless, above reproach, so that we can be a living testimony for the world so that people can see God's glory. Amen? Let's pray.